Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Where, where are we in what we're studying right now? What we're studying right now is what took place. We, we have studied the book of Revelation. We've seen that, if I can mark out the platform here, this is the seven years of Daniel's 70th week. This is what's called the tribulation. The second half of it's been called the great tribulation. So most of what we've studied so far is what had taken place in the first half, what's been taking place in the second half, and we're right here in this, this timeline. This is where Jesus Christ is coming back to earth. This is the end of that tribulation. This is what ends the tribulation. Matter of fact, that's what's going to end earth phase two. We're about to go into earth phase three. We're about to go into the millennium. We're about to go into the kingdom of God right here where Jesus has come back. And what we've been trying to talk to you about is what, what is going to happen when Jesus comes back? What do we know is going to happen? We know that the beast and the false prophet are going to be cast alive, alive into the fire. We know that the dragon that, in, that empowered them is going to be bound in the bottomless pit or the, the, yeah, the bottomless pit. He's going to be bound there for at least a thousand years. We know that all of those who stood with the, the image and his be, the beast and his image and all those, all those people have just been destroyed. That's the armies that came with them. But we also know that there are people who survived that um, tribulation period. They were usually people who did not take the mark of the beast. And those people who did not take the mark of the beast came in two categories that we saw. He's going to judge, gather up all of those, and then judge them of what's called the, the judgment of the nations or the goats and the sheep. So he takes people as he brings them in before him, and he recognizes them for who they are, for who they've trusted. And some of those are called sheep. Some of those he calls goats. The sheep have trusted him. The goats have not. And that's been expressed in how they dealt with the Jewish survivors themselves, how they dealt with the people who were in refugees coming out of uh, Israel. How did he deal with them? What happened with them? So that's where the judgment came where he said uh, well, that you have done good things for my brethren. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was needing food, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you took care of me. And... That was all those things that took place there. That's how he judged them. Now, I want to back up just a minute and make sure judgment is going to happen. We're right now getting some really great grace. You understand what I'm saying? The things may not be fun. You're going to have trouble. Can I say trouble's going to happen no matter who you are? Whether you are saved, unsaved, whether you're rich, you're poor, none of that makes any difference. Male, female, it doesn't matter. Trouble is a part of this world. Everybody with me? That's just part of the world. That's not necessarily judgment, kids. That's not necessarily judgment. Sometimes the, the things that happen to us come because of a direct result of something we did. Sometimes it came as a result of something that someone else stupidly did. You follow where I'm at? And we still have to be in it. Sometimes we make bad decisions. There's trouble that comes from it. That's what was just a principle of life itself. 
I want to back up just for a minute and let's talk for who is God judging? He's got judgment coming, but who's he judging? I'm going to take you all the way back here to creation. So from creation, all people belong to the Lord, right? All people belong to the Lord. How many people were there? Do you? There's Adam and Eve, right? That's all there was. That means that 100% of the world knew God, had a relationship with God, and was bound to him until they distrusted him. When they distrusted him, that caused a separation to take. Away from the Garden of Eden they went and out into the wilderness. From there on, all the people from there were separated from God with the exception of those who believed who he was. There you have uh, guys like Seth. You're having several people now, Enoch, that walk with the Lord. You're going to have Noah that walk with the Lord. You're going to have all kinds of people during that period of time that walk with the Lord. Then came the flood. And that took away all people except the eight believers who 100% knew God. That meant, once again, 100% of the world knows God, has a relationship with God, right? But after the flood, and I don't mean long after the flood, shortly after the flood, the sons and daughters of the people who survived the flood rebelled against God. They built themselves their own tower, their own city, their own kingdom, and determined that they would be God themselves. They weren't going to have any more interference by this divine God. They were done with having interference by the angels. They were done with that. They're just going to have their own world, their own utopia, if you would. And God's judgment on that was to spread them out all around. That judgment was a separation. Some have called it the great divorce. That is the place where they, God divorced all people from him. They were separated from him. They didn't want to be around him, and he was pushing them away. That meant that all people that were related to them were also being pushed away. Their children were being pushed away, so they're all going to become aliens to God. God then selected one family. And that family was from Shem's family. They, he selected Abraham and promised Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and you are going to be my peculiar people. All right? Now, if you can see, we've got two groups of people now. We've got the people who are in a covenant relationship to God through Abraham. That's his kids. And those who are out of any covenant relationship who don't have any relationship to him. The laws they're living under are the laws given to Noah. And those are a repeat of the laws given to Adam. Everybody with me? That's the laws they have to operate with. If they follow those laws, they might stumble across a relationship with the living God. So he gave them angels, sons of God, if you would, to teach them how to come back to God. They didn't do it. Those angels rebelled against God. Those sons of God rebelled against him, and they taught him instead how to worship themselves. Two groups of people. They're all going to have a judgment at some time. The standard's going to be the same, but the requirements won't be. You see, the people outside of Abraham, that group of people are judged by what was given to them in Revelation, Noah's law, Adam's law. That's the things they're, they're going to be judged by. Will you be faithful to the living God? 
It all starts with faith in the living God. You've always been saved, kids, all the way back here from Adam forward. We've always been saved by grace through faith. It's not been about our works. Our works always follow whether we have believed God or not believed God. Everybody with me okay on this? All right. So there's those two groups of people. By the time you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be a third group of people that's established. The third group of people are going to be the ones that the Father gives to the Son. The Father married Israel. And from that union came the Lord Jesus Christ, their Son. And now the Lord Jesus Christ has a, a, a bride being given to him by the Father. So the Father's going to give them to this. That group of people called the church will be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ, its husband. Everybody follow me? But the Father is saying, I'm also giving authority to my Son to rule over all the world, not simply the church. Matter of fact, I'm giving him authority to rule all over the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, or the kingdom of earth. Those both are going to be under him. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. So by the time you get Jesus to here, there are three groups of people he's dealing with for judgment. One, the church. Two, those, those that are in a covenant relationship through him, through Israel. And three, those who never had a relationship with him because of their own unbelief. Everybody with me? Now, having said that, let's go back to our notes. Let's work for this. In Matthew 25, we read this. For the kingdom of heaven is like, verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. <coughs> you have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who, had, he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not uh, scattered seed, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sworn and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. 
and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, let's put this together. Number one, the rewards for faithfulness and service, there are many parables that are just like this on accountability, okay? You can know this. Works by covenanted people are examined and rewarded by the Lord. The works of covenanted people. Now, why is it important to say covenanted? Because it's not the other two groups. It's not the church that this judgment is about. It's not the Gentiles this judgment is about. It's not about the unbelievers. This is about his covenanted people, the people that he made a relationship with. Who is that? It's Israel. This is about Israel. This is about its relationship to the king. And so this judgment is about what you're going to read in Israel. This is the people who were in his household. He's not judging people who are not in his household. That's a different judgment. He's judging people who are in his household, all right? So let's take a look at this. It's those identifying with his household in his covenant, Israel and those converting to it, claiming the exceptionalism of being a part of the covenant. So they're claiming that they've got a special, uh, special place in history because they are a part of the covenant relationship known as Israel, all right? The church has already been judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That's why the church is not in this judgment. They have, the church has already been judged at the judgment seat of Christ. The righteous standard was the same, but the object was different. Okay? The, the righteous standard was the same. We'll show you that standard here in the next, next point. From the beginning, the standard has been faith followed by stewardship with what one was given. Faith made one a servant of God. Stewardship is the work of a servant of God. Everybody with me? So these people were in that covenant relationship by faith. That's why they were there. And by faith, that's why they were supposed to be working. Now he's judging them for the things they have done in his own household with the stuff he gave them to work with. They weren't working with their own stuff. They were working with the stuff that he gave them. May I say this to you? When you are being knit together in the womb of your mother, you are being given the talents you're going to have, the gifts you're going to have for the rest of your life. You can develop them one way or the other. You can ignore them. You can bury them if you like. But that's a choice he's giving you. But you have already been given them. That's your birthright. Everybody follow what I'm saying? That's your birthright. That's what was given to you because you're a part of his household. But let me go on further to say, you who are born again, you have a double blessing because you're also being given the spirit gifts. You're being given the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. You have something that's to be used in the body of Christ. That's your gift to this group. You have something you're supposed to be using. That standard is you have faith, and here's the stewardship of what he gave you. Now, he doesn't give everybody equal stuff. He doesn't have to give everybody equal stuff. Everybody follow me here? This is an important principle to understand in our own country. You are not equally talented. Some of you have better talents than others. 
Some of you have better gifts than others. Can I say this? You're responsible for what you got. It's not you're responsible to wish you had something else. If you've got two talents, how much are you supposed to work with? Two talents. Reproduce them. Do something with them. Don't sit there and say, oh, I wish I'd been given five. Oh, I wish I'd been given five. Can I say, the master knows how many you can handle. He knows what to give you. Now, you may multiply that a lot and make that really, really valuable. But he's the one who gives out the talents. It's not simply you. All right? Now, having said that, from the beginning, the standard has been faith followed by stewardship with what one has, was given. Faith made one a servant of God. Stewardship is the work of a servant of God. Let me talk to you about faith just for a moment. Faith. There are several kinds of faith. I think what I'd list. Uh, well, get the paperclip out there. Uh, listed well, at least uh, six, seven. Here's one kind of faith. Situational faith or rescue faith. Situational faith or rescue faith. It's temporary and applicable to the moment only. You may have that temporary faith, and here's what it is. You're facing a situation, and whatever that situation is, God says he's going to do something. You trust him for that situation, but once the situation's over, you back off and say, okay, I'm back to my own life now. Who's my example of this? Israel over and over and over again. You get delivered out of Egypt by the ten plagues. You get to the Red Sea, and you are now confused and bothered and worried. Why? Because the faith that got you out of the slavery did not bring you to delivery at the Red Sea. You're going to have to have a new faith for that one, a new situational faith. Everybody see? It's temporary. You're going to be called on by, to, by God to trust Him to get you across the Red Sea. And once you get across the Red Sea, that faith ends. Because you don't have faith to believe that the water he just took you through, he can also provide for you to drink. That just doesn't seem to, to fit for you. So you begin to complain. It's another situation. Oh, <laughs> what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? It's a situation, and you're going to have to have faith to get through that one. But when you get through that one, Another situation is going to arise. And every time you have to keep having new faith for that situation, can I tell you that faith will never get you to the promised land. And it will never justify you before God. It will get you out of a current situation, but it will never get you to the promised land. Everybody see where I'm at? Many of those people died in the wilderness because they couldn't keep believing God. They questioned him at every, every opportunity. Let me go to the next one. Fire insurance faith. That's temporary. It's fear of judgment or hell, but you're still guilty before God. Fire insurance faith. We, we call it that because someone gave you a sermon that you're going to be judged, and because of that, you're going to go to hell. Man, you trusted Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, right then. You were scared. You trusted him. And you put that fire insurance policy right in your vest pocket, right in your purse, and you said, at least I'm not going to hell. But you may never have another faithful moment the rest of your life because all you got was a fire insurance policy. And if you never caught fire, (laughs) 
Shucks. Didn't need the policy after all. I don't know how many people I've known that had a fire insurance policy. You could ask them anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. It really didn't matter to them as long as they had the policy. As long as they knew they'd made a profession someplace along the way that made sure they weren't going to hell. Folks, that does not justify you before God. That's an inadequate faith. I know you were scared, but you're going to have to come out of being scared and figure out who Jesus really is. You're going to have to take that faith and add to it. You're going to figure out who is Jesus and why did I need to be saved in the first place. Let's go to the next one. I call this one social faith. There's nothing personal in it. It is your birth group, or you joined in the hope of gaining group benefits. It's temporary and very deceptive, very self-deceiving. What do I mean by this? It believes that because I am a part of a particular group, it's natural that the whole group is going to be saved. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Social faith is like being born into a family and assuming that that's enough to get you where you need to go to heaven. No, you'll never get to heaven on mom and dad's faith. Social faith sometimes, I I watch young men and women trash it simply because it wasn't their faith. So they got up to be about 16, 17 years old and decided they'd just dump it. They, they never really understood it anyway. It's not really important to them anyway. They got friends that don't believe that stuff. They got, hey, you know, it's a lot of fun to have a good time. So they'll dump social faith because it was never adequate to get you to heaven. It was never adequate to justify you before God. Everybody see where I'm coming from? So let me just say this, young men and women, if you're here today and you think you're okay because mom and dad are believers, you have social faith and you're, you're dead in your sins. Follow me? That's why it's deceptive, because you've deceived yourself. You think by telling mom and dad something that got them off your back, that got them to stop asking you questions about whether you're going to heaven or not. Why would they ask you those questions? Because they love you and they care for you. They know what hell's about. They know what this thing is about. If you think you're going to heaven today because your mom and dad are believers and you're part of a particular group or whatever that group is, you have been deceived. Fair enough? All right, let's go to the next one. How many are with me on this so, so far? You're, you're grasping one? Okay, yeah, there we go. All right. Let's talk about iniquitous faith. Iniquitous faith. What in the world could you have iniquitous faith about? It's a self-centered faith for show, but it's no real knowledge of Christ. Do I have an example for that? Yep. Matter of fact, the social faith was just Israel. Israel believed that because they were born as Israelites, they're naturally going to go to heaven. They're naturally going to be justified before God. And Jesus told them, no, you're not. Because you don't believe me, you're not going there. The others will receive the kingdom before you do. All right, let's go on to Matthew 7 for just a moment. Matthew 7. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Nothing will say to me, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice. See that word lawlessness, if that's what you have down there? It's the word iniquity. You, you, you have your own thing. You're doing your own thing. Your, your faith that you're having is because you want to show of something. You want to be seen as somebody big in that movement. It's called iniquitous faith. All right? Let's go on to the next one. Self-righteous faith. That's where you're, you have rules of holiness that you keep. You think this is going to make you somebody special because you have rules of holiness. You think that you're, you're uh, uh, doing certain things makes you pleasing before God. Kids, that n- nothing you do is going to make you pleasing before God. You follow that? Nothing. If you're not in the household, it doesn't matter what you do. You can do all kinds of things, but if you're not in the household, it isn't solid effort. It will never justify you before God. It may justify you in your own eyes. You may think of it. That's why we call it self-righteous faith. This is the faith of the Pharisees. This is the faith of the Sadducees. They thought they were all right. You're not, but they are. All right. Let's go on to the next one. Intellectual assent. There's plenty of philosophical discussion. He agrees with all the tenets of the faith, but is bored with common Sunday school talks. He thinks his work is to have the best argument and always be right. He loves rituals, symbols, and ceremony. He's got intellectual assent. He agrees to things. It's, it's like he puts his faith in Christ similar to believing that the world is round or that Columbus discovered the earth or there was an Abraham Lincoln or there was a George Washington. His faith meets there. It's natural. It's understandable. Jesus was a historical figure. Of course I believe in Jesus. But he's never had a personal faith, faith with that. It can't be justified before Almighty God. Letter G, saving faith. Saving faith holds to the fundamentals and keeps them even when in doubt. It makes a practice of the faith. It's a faith that works. He is justified before God. It is a continuing faith. Let me give you an illustration of this one. Go to Colossians chapter 1 with me. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, in uh, verse 21, I think it is. Yes, 21. And you who once were alienated by an enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded in steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The only faith that's saving faith is the faith that continues. It knows it's been born again. It knows who Jesus is, and it continues to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? All right. So of all those that are going to be judged, you're going to find that there are some people that come up with this judgment that Jesus is showing to us here who trusted the Messiah fully. 
Guy with five talents trusted Jesus. What did he trust about Jesus? What did he trust about the master? Here's something I know he trusted about. He believed there really was a master. He believed there really was a judgment coming. Those are two things you can know for sure. And you know what else he believed? That he's a rewarder of them that, dil- that diligently seek him. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He knew that the master was there, even though he couldn't see the master, even though the master's miles away, universes away, as far as he knows, and though he had no reports given to him that the master's still doing well, he believes the master is coming back. And he believes that when he's coming back, he's going to be rewarded for, for his faithfulness and diligence. Everybody follow that? Those are things that I can know of the guy with five. Those are things I can know with the guy with two. The things I can know with the guy who has one, he thinks God is mean and harsh. He thinks Jesus is mean and harsh and always gathers up where he did not sow himself. So since that's the way Jesus is, he'll just give him back your talent. Here's your talent. I live my life my own way. I did it my way while being in the household of God by social faith. You follow where I'm coming from? Because he thought being born in Israel made him an exceptional person, that God would naturally smile on him no matter what he did. Because he was born into that exceptional situation, God would naturally reward him. That is not faith. That is not faith. That's presumption. The standard is not in comparison to others. So you're not looking to see, am I doing as good as Doug is? Am I doing as good as Al is? Am I doing as good as this one, this one, that, and this one? You may be surprised. You are held responsible for what you did with what you have. And you can't compare it to anybody else. He didn't compare this to anybody else. He said exactly the same thing to the man who gained five talents as he did to the man who gained two talents. What he was looking for was a character. Isaiah 11 says that the Messiah, when he comes, will not judge by the seeing of his eyes nor the hearing of his ears, but will judge with righteous judgment. Jesus doesn't just look at the things you did. Instead, Jesus looks at why you did it. What was your reason for doing it? He judges righteous judgment. He knows what we're doing these things for. He knows what that's about. Number five, work done. If I, if I do this work, if I am faithful in what one is given, the reward given for that is you're faithful in little, I'll make you faithful in much. Because, because you took what you had and you used what you had, I will make you a ruler in many things. It wasn't about the quantity of work you did. The guy who had five obviously had more than the guy who had two but they both got the same reward of going into the kingdom, to going into the joy of the Lord. All right. Do I? Yeah, I think I'm going to stop there and pick up the the rest next week. Um, Next week, as you look at this, we're going to pick up what means foolish stewardship, and then I'm going to give you some observations about Jesus' judgment. How does Jesus judge things? Because there's things we can see in this that helps us see a whole lot about Jesus' judgment style. 
how he judges, what he judges on, what righteous judgment means. There's more I want to go into, and I just don't want to tackle that this morning yet. All right, I want to go ahead and get to, so I can have a full speech about it. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know everybody that's here, Father. I don't know what goes on in their heart, what they're thinking in their mind. I don't know any of that. But I do know this, you do. There's not a person here that you don't know intimately well. You don't know everything that's on their mind. You know everything about them. And I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that you bring that deep conviction that only Holy Spirit can, can bring. And that as you do it, you will give to people a new heart. Grant to them faith they might trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be finished with the unfaithfulness that's, that's been characteristic of them so far. Let them have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let them be saved, Father, with an eternal faith, a continuing faith. Now, thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, today you may be here, and for the first time you've figured out that Jesus really is the Christ. God has convicted you and shown you that Jesus really is the Christ. And you've seen that membership, or I'm, I'm sorry, membership, that being a part of the body of Christ is extremely important. You'll be lost without it. All the things that you could do will not do you a bit of good if you're not in the household of faith. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch.org all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.